This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. God allowed it. God even brought his name up for it to happen. Job didn't understand any of those things because Job doesn't see the future. Job doesn't understand all the processes and the ways and the means of God. Just like, you know what, neither do you and I. We're so ignorant of these things and we think that we know God, but beloved, we know diddly about God. What we know about God compared to the greatness and the vastness of God, we don't know anything. Join us today as Pastor David teaches about the sovereignty of God. You may have questioned God's ways in the past. You may not understand how God works through certain circumstances. But God says to Job, who are you to question the Almighty, O man? You cannot understand and comprehend the vastness that is God. You must learn to trust God's goodness and faithfulness. God sees the future and knows all things. So who better to trust with your life? Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 18, with part one of our message entitled, Vessels of Mercy. You will say to me, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Well, I think these are the beginnings of what I call the duh questions. When he comes in and he says, you're going to ask me this question that says, uh, who has resisted his will? And I could just imagine Paul, if he were living in our time frame, he'd look at the people and say, duh, who has resisted his will? How about everybody has resisted his will? In chapter 3 of Romans, it says that there are none righteous. No, not one. There are none who seek after God. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. Beloved, this is what I call a wrong question. And I shared with you last week that we're going to deal with these wrong questions. When they ask the wrong question, what you have to understand is you don't need to answer a wrong question. And in your life, when you ask God the wrong questions, you're not going to get the answer that you want either. The problem is, the way that you deal with the wrong question is by asking the right question. You understand what I'm saying? If you're asking wrong, you need to understand, okay, what do I need to answer this correctly? The questions that he has there in verse 19, he says, who has resisted his will? In verse 20, he says, will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? You know, this sounds like something that Job would come up with. Why, why have you allowed these things to happen? And I want you to take in your Bibles this morning and turn back to the book of Job. To find the book of Job, go to the book of Psalms and turn left. And the first intersection you come to, that'll probably be the book of Job. Okay, and if it's not, you've got a problem with your Bible and we can get you a good one. But in Job chapter 38, I want you to look there. And before we get into that, I just want to bring you up to speed with the story of Job, just in case you've forgotten and who could forget about Job. But remember, Job lost everything. Job lost all of his livestock, all of his welfare, all of his income. Then he lost all of his children. And then his wife, blessed be her name, comes to him and says, Look, why don't you just curse God and die? Great support system he had at that point in time. But it gets better than that. He has three friends that come up to him, and they give this great counsel. Not. 
They come and they start counseling him in all kinds of things. And Job is saying, no, no, none of this is right. None of this is correct. Well, on through the book of Job, and it goes on and on and on with the counsel of these friends, and Job bringing his own declaration of innocence, until near the end of this, Job is getting kind of weary, and then he begins to question God. He begins to ask God, again, why have these things come upon me? Why am I suffering all of these things? And so God then comes to Job and straightens out his wrong question with some right questions. So if you're in Job chapter 38, look at beginning in verse 1. The Lord then answered Job and out of the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And he's speaking to Job. Job, you're speaking words without knowledge. You're speaking things you don't understand. And then in verse 3, it says, in my new King James, it says, Now prepare yourself like a man. In the King James Version, it says, Gird up your loins. Uh, it's, it's the idea and the thought, just like you and I, stand up and take it like a man, because I'm going to talk to you, son. Uh, you, you need to be prepared at this point. Be prepared, prepare yourself like a man, because Job, I am now going to question you, and you shall answer me. Then the Lord began speaking. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have such great understanding. I think at this point in time, Job knew that this conversation was going to go south on his end of it. That this is not going to be a pleasant interaction with God that God is going to bring some real correction to him. And that's exactly what's going on. God is going to bring correction to him. He says, Job, who who determined its measurements? Who determined how big the world is going to be? Well, surely you know, Job. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? What's holding it all together, Job? Do you know? You're so intelligent. You have all the answers. Well, who laid its cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Down in verse 12, he continues on. He says, have you, Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Job, how much power, how much authority do you have? You're coming in questioning me, Job. You're you're questioning my actions. You're questioning my reasonings. You're questioning my understandings. Job, where were you when all of this was formed? And who are you, Job, compared to who I am? But it doesn't end there. He then goes on to speak down in verse 31 as he says, Can you bind the the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season? Can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Do you know what causes them and places them? Can you set their dominion over the earth? Can you lift up your voice, Job, to the clouds, that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you, Job, send out lightning that it may go and say to you, Oh, here we are. Who's put wisdom in the mind, Job, and who has given understanding to the heart? This point in time, if I were Job, even if it's not physically, I would emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically be shrinking 
and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Because suddenly I realize that the one who formed the heavens and all of creation is calling me to task. For the attitudes of my heart, for the responses that I've given, and yes, even for the questions that I've asked. It's Almighty God. It's not, it's not my peers that are saying, hey, you're, you're, you're talking the wrong way. No, this is Almighty God coming and speaking these things to him. And in all of these things, God continue to push and to push into Job's life. Over in chapter 40, verses 1 through 8, comes to the point where finally Job is going to get it, but God begins with this question in verse 1. He says, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. You're contending with the Almighty here, Job, in your questions. I'm not ignorant of what's going on in your life. The interesting thing in all of this is who brought about the situations in Job's life. Do you remember the beginning of that story? Where Satan found himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan, where have you been? And Satan says, well, I've been wandering around the earth. And who brings up Job's name in the midst of this, beloved? God does. God brings Job's name up to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? Aren't there times when you wish God would kind of forget your name? In this case, he says, have you considered my servant, Job? And Satan's response is, well, yeah, the reason he serves you and the reason he's righteous is because of all the things that you've blessed him with. And God says, that's not true. Take away whatever he's got, and he'll still praise me. And so Satan did, and Job still praised the Lord. And then Satan says, well, it's because you still give him health and life. And God says, no, that's not the case. Go ahead and take it away from him, and I'll show you. I'll show you what my servant Job is made of. And so Satan brought upon him all these boils and these scabs. Job lost everything. His life was absolutely miserable. You and I, even in the worst of situations that sit here this morning, in your life, the worst of things that you've gone through, you cannot even begin to comprehend the despair of Job. To lose every bit of well-being in his life. All of his finances gone in a day. All of his children gone in a day. And then soon his health became so wretched and so deplorable that even his friends rejected him. Everything was taken away from Job. You could say the rug was pulled out from under him, but it's, oh, it's so much worse than that. All of this goes on with the knowledge and the understanding of God. God sought God understood it. And beloved, the thing that you and I need to grasp hold of is God allowed it. God even brought his name up for it to happen. Job didn't understand any of those things because Job doesn't see the future. Job doesn't understand all the processes and the ways and the means of God. Just like, you know what, neither do you and I. We're so ignorant of these things and we think that we know God, but beloved, we know diddly about God, what we know about God compared to the greatness and the vastness of God, we don't know anything. That's why Paul says, man, it's unmeasurable. 
can't even begin to comprehend it. And that's why God can come to Job and says, are, are, are you the one that's going to correct me, Job? Are you going to rebuke me, Job? And I think the same question comes to every one of us when we go through situations that we don't understand and if we would dare raise a fist to God. God would say, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Are you the one that's going to bring me correction? Are you going to be the one to contend with the Almighty? So finally, Job begins to understand. And Job answered the Lord and said, in verse 4, he says, Behold, I'm vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I've spoken, but I'm not going to answer. Okay, well, twice I've spoken, but, but, but I'm not going to proceed any longer. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said again, Prepare yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you a question, Job, and I want you to give me the answer. In verse 8, he says, Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you, Job, condemn me that you might be justified? Beloved, that is a harsh, harsh question. Some of you have gone through such trauma and such devastation in your lives. I I can't even begin to relate. I can have great sympathy for you, but there's, there's no way that I can have the amount of empathy that needs to be there because I've never gone through the the depth of sorrow, the depth of ripping apart that you've experienced in your life. But I can tell you this, that God is intimately aware aware of every tear, of every sorrow, of every situation that has ever, ever entered your life or ever will enter your life. And in the midst of that, He has allowed it to happen, or he has purposefully caused it to happen. The question is, is how do we deal with that as his creation? We look, we say, are you going to annul my judgment? When we, again, question God and how and what's going on in our lives, God says, are you condemning me? in order that you might be justified. It's like you and I coming up and says, well, God, I've got a better plan. You see, I, I know what needs to be done here, and God, you don't know. Now, how foolish is that? But how many times have we said the very thing? Maybe not out in words that anybody could hear, but in our own hearts. He goes on in verse chapter 42, we'll skip a couple of chapters. In chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, Job finally really getting a clue really strongly here. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked me earlier on, who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I uttered things that I didn't understand. Things that were too wonderful for me, which I, I didn't know. Job is kind of breaking himself before the Lord. So he comes in verse 4, speaking to the Lord. He says, listen, please, please let me speak. You said, Lord, I will question you and you shall answer me. Well, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself 
and I repent in dust and ashes. Job is saying, man, through this whole conversation, I've suddenly come to a realization that I don't, I, don't, I don't know a thing. I have absolutely no clue. And Lord, you know everything. And you're powerful over all things. In the midst of my life, at, at first, I, man, I've, I've heard about you with my ears. My, my, my trust had been through the testimony of others. I heard about you with my ears. But now I've experienced you so greatly. Now I'm coming to an understanding of your greatness, of your might, and of your majesty. And I abhor myself. I, I despise myself from what I've said and the way that I've lived. And Lord, I'm repenting with dust and ashes. And the fact is, is for some of you today, that might be the very case of where you need to be in your life. As you've questioned God and you've doubted God and you've not allowed God to be God in your life, but rather He has been what we've called over the last several weeks, your manageable little deity. And you've got Him packed in a nice tight little box and God only moves within that box and don't dare move without that box or I'll call you in to question God. Because you see, I have it all figured out. And I know how you work and how you move. And God is saying, no, you don't, you don't know anything. You don't know anything. You don't know my ways. You don't know my directions. You don't even know my plans. And that's a very humbling thing for every one of us. But that's where every one of us need to be. It's when you and I come to that point where we say, oh no, I've got it all figured out. I've got it all figured out. Suddenly, God is no longer God in our lives. You see, the right question always now allows for the right answers. God began asking Job the right questions. Now Job was able to bring about the right answers in his life. He suddenly came to that point of understanding, well, the right answer is, you know everything and I don't know anything you, your ways are too wonderful for me, uh, things that I don't know. Job begins giving that right answer. It's the kind of right answer that even Isaiah understood. If you're in Job, travel to the east, over to Isaiah, on past the Psalms, into the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 64, and we're just going to look at a couple of verses there. Again, these right answers that are coming. You see, Israel had gone through the same thing. God was bringing judgment and correction to Israel, and Israel was crying out, Wow, what have we done? Why, 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 Why are we suffering through so many things? And even Isaiah, the prophet, looked at the children of Israel, and he thought, Man, what is going on with them? Until finally he starts getting the right answer. And the right answer we see in Isaiah 64, verses 6 through 8, where Isaiah, the prophet, declares... To the Lord, the right answer. He says, we're all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, has taken us away. There's no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of of our iniquities. You see, Isaiah understood and knew that there was none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah understood and knew that there was none that sought after God, that it's all God's work, and God can't be brought to charge on anything. 
because His ways are indisputable, because He is the sovereign one. And that's how Isaiah was able to state in this last verse, uh, verse 8. He says, But now, O Lord, You are our Father, and we are the clay, and You our potter, and all we are the work of Your hand. What a great declaration that is for Isaiah. And it's a declaration that you and I need to make and understand in our own lives. Lord, you're the potter, and I'm the clay. Do with me what you desire. Form me and fashion me whatever way that you want to. You're the potter. I'm the clay. It's the same message that he gave to Jeremiah around about the same time that Isaiah is receiving this. Jeremiah received a word from the Lord. We find in Jeremiah from Isaiah. Go on to your right a little bit more. One more book and you're going to have Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look! As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. What a declaration that is. What an understanding that you and I have to have in this whole view of the potter and the clay. If you've never seen a demonstration of someone making pottery, you, you, you miss this illustration totally. But if you've seen the illustration, I have a good friend, Pat Lazovich, who's pastor of Calvary Chapel, Sierra Vista. He's also a potter, and he's done demonstrations. We've had him here. We need to have him again maybe next fall. Again, just the visual that's there, it just so impacts our lives. You know what happens to the clay when it gets worked on by the potter? You and I would look at it and say, it gets abused. It gets beaten it gets smacked down, it gets worked and kneaded and worked over again, continually working. Why? In order to make it formable and fashionable by the potter. You see, a lump of clay in and of itself can't be worked with that way. It's got to be worked out, it's got to be softened, it's got to be kneaded. One of the first things that the potter does is take that clay and slam it down on the potter's wheel. Why? Because he doesn't want him to move. He doesn't want him to shift off to the side. He doesn't want him to be loose on there to where in the midst of working he goes flying off the, the room to the other side. He, he's got to be steadfast. He's got to be well attached to that wheel. And he continues working and, and molding and softening up that clay as he works. And sometimes the potter will even take and hammer the clay if there's air bubbles in it. Because you've got to get all that out for it to be worked until he starts finally forming it and fashioning it. There's another thing that goes on with the work of the potter there on the wheel. 
There's always water, always water, an abundance of water. And the potter is continually dipping his hand in the water and putting water all over the clay, continually forming it. And you look at that water and you think, man, that's kind of like the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as the Lord is forming us and fashioning us, the Holy Spirit just immersing our lives in order for us to be formed, in order for us to be malleable, in order for us to be fashionable by the Lord. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, again, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to our homepage at TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regularly scheduled tax-deductible gift to this ministry. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.